Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. It's back! We're back. We are. It's good to be yes. back, isn't it? Yes. It's January. It's 26, 17, 16. 16, yeah, yeah. I've skipped over that year because I want to see the next Star Wars film. <laughs> so do I. So I've skipped over the next year. And I want to go straight into episode 8. Is it only coming out in 2017? Yeah, yeah. May of 20... No, 20... Yeah. No, yeah, May of 2017. Oh, that's quite early. So we're only 18 months away from seeing... Mm. 17 months away from seeing um, episode 8. Yeah. And seeing how it all turns out. And if any of the questions we asked two episodes ago... Yeah. ...are to be resolved. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, hello. Hello. Are you alright? I'm okay. How's you it's all right. It's good. It's good. Is it good to is it good to be back in January? <laughs> uh, tonight we're back with a two part special mm-hmm. covering Loeb and Sales, the Long Halloween. But first, we have emails. We do. It's always nice to have emails. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have emails that you can spread over the shows that you're recording all in one night, despite releasing them separately and in a few months' time. Yes. Not like this one, sir. No. In nowhere. Our first email, email. Email. Yeah, he sent it, right, and then he just nailed it to the outside of the house, and I came in and this note was just flapping there, and I pulled it down and I read it, and it was great. Okay. It was a bit unnerving, (laughs) and especially when there there was a sign with Angman's noose on it and a couple of words missing. I was, you know, I don't know what to make of that. That's quite a thorough explanation of a of a slight (laughs) cock up (laughs) that I could have edited out and no one would ever have known. Yeah. Our cock-ups are never slight. That's that's true. Okay. Uh, Snyder's of Batman Run is an email from Nathaniel Wade. Hello, Nathaniel. No, it's Nathaniel, isn't it? Yeah. Not Nathaniel. That's War of the Worlds, isn't it? No, Nathaniel. Yes. That one. Uh, dear Hey Kids Comics, Leyland's is, 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 is. That's us. Mm-hmm. Hi, Nathaniel. It's nice to be here. I'd pull up a chair. I don't think Nathaniel's emailed him before. So, he's a new emailer. So, don't we have some kind of... I think we've had a fan but I think we lost it. I think John Williams is busy. (laughs) Or he's retired, but he's come out of retirement to be busy. Yeah. And now he's scoring a couple of Star Wars movies. It's a good pension fund for him. Yeah. What I would have thought. Nathaniel says, I have been working my way gradually, and in no particular order, through old episodes. Wow, but that's a bit weird. It is. Going through them randomly. So at one point you're all very manly <laughs> and Jean-Luc Picard here. And then the next thing you're a bit like this. I'm a little less manly. Yeah. Just as manly, just <laughs> a little... Just as manly but a little more squeaky. Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay. 
I just wrapped up the three-part coverage of Zero Year. I have to say that it sounds stellar, but I can't help be sceptical given my own feelings on the Snyder Coppola material I have read. For what I can see, you only ever cover Death of the Family, and I'm curious to know your opinions on some of the chunks of that story, not all of which I've actually read. We did more than just Death of the Family in Zero Year, didn't we? Mm, we did the odd issue. Did we? Yeah. Alright, I could have sworn we did um, Court of Owls and Night of Owls. Or did we just never get round to it? Was that skipped in the boot? Yeah, we skipped And we just never it. got to it. Right, I see. Alright, fair enough, yeah. Court of Owls sold me on the concept, and I was prepared to reject on principle the idea that Batman had no clue about this society didn't jibe with me as a general idea. Batman Lost in the Labyrinth was especially memorable. However, City of Owls lost me completely. It completely undid the behind-the-scenes nature of the court by having them send out an army and put their symbol right out in the sky. Best case scenario, the current court members just don't really grasp the secret society concept. But then the monologue machine known as Talon had to show up with a BS backstory that even the comic it introduced in didn't seem to believe. Do you remember that? I never read the Talon. Did you not? No. No, was he not in Court of Owls, City of Owls? Does it not mean Talon the character? Yeah, he sprung from that and had his own series. But right. there were lots of Talons. Right. See, this is the only problem we've got with this, Nathaniel. I've only read this once. Yeah. As it came out monthly, apart from the stuff that we covered on the show. So what I remember about the Night of Owls thing was that they'd been preparing for a while and they decided this was the night their plan sprung into action. See, I'd have to reread it all. And I do plan on, because I love Snyder stuff. Well, let's, let's see what... And if for Christmas you did perhaps not <laughs> get... That you did perhaps get, or did get... Or yeah. didn't get, yeah, yeah. but maybe you got, yeah. but then again possibly didn't get something. Which we should so enable know me. Well, we should know that, but for some reason I've just forgotten. It means I can have all your comics. But all of them? Yeah. Well, most of them. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to dig them out, I think. Okay. We, may, we may do a special on them. Yeah, there was a special on you. Nathaniel continues, Death of the Family was good, and I probably would have liked it more if I hadn't known about certain revelations regarding the Joker that came out a bit later, mainly that he was some variant of Immortal. Whilst this doesn't miss the mark quite as hard as the new 52 Wonder Woman, but that's a rant I need to cleanse myself one of these days, it does show a fundamental misunderstanding of the Joker, at least as how far I've always read the character. To my way of thinking, it's vitally important to the Joker-Batman dynamic that both of them are ultimately just human beings. Batman represents the pinnacle of what a human man can achieve with unlimited resources and sufficient drive, whilst the Joker represents just how psychotically low a human being can sink. That dynamic is shot if one of them isn't really human. Well, go on. What it was, was it was just two concepts put together. It was the Lazarus Pit Mm. mixed in with the Joker. Also... I think it's quite an interesting explanation as to why the Joker's died Being able the to panel survive. and come back so many times. I mean, yeah, those answers, it's just comics, but then you can make a story out of that. Mm. And plus, it, it, it was an interesting story, and it was interesting to see what they did with it, and ultimately how it ended. Yeah. Because it ended with, yes, they are two people, and they both died. Right. Okay, fair enough. I was more intrigued by the missing the mark as as hard as the new 52 Wonder Woman. Because everything I've seen about that, and I've not read it because it's Brian Azzarello, so that put me off a little bit. Because apart from 100 Bullets, I've not really liked anything Azzarello's ever written. Hmm. But everything I've read about that new 52 Wonder Woman, everybody loves it. So I would be very interested to read your rant about (laughs) why it's no good. Because I'm always interested in contrary opinions, Mm -hmm. aren't I? I always like reading that. So, I suppose more than anything, concludes Nathaniel, 
I'm after your opinions on this wrinkle in the Joker mythology. Though if you can make a case as to why City of Owls didn't completely botch the goodwill of Court of Owls, I'd be interested in hearing that too. Best always, Nathaniel Wayne. City of Owls is the best crossover since Infinite Crisis. You think? Yes. Uh, I am hard-pressed to think of a better one, if we're not counting Vader down. Well... I know we not because that's not really it's, it's not really the Marvel DC Universe Star Wars is it no but Verda Down pretty damn good but as how it was put together mm-hmm. as a multiple writers multiple creative teams in so within the Batman context you're saying it's the best one since No Man's Land no what I'm saying is in a DC context right so just I, generally yeah right. it's okay. the most well thought out well written well put together and well cohesive Mm. Well, Crossover. cohesive. Well, cohesive. <laughs> Most cohesive. That's the funny. Since, uh, yeah. Okay, well, the thing, all we can suggest, because without actually going back and rereading it, which we do plan on doing, read it and let us know what you think. And then we will we will put your opinions into our blender when we read it, and we'll, we'll see if we can reach a common ground or if we're just going <laughs> to have to fight each other. In a, you know, in a let's have a coffee and discuss it kind of way. Not in a, the end of Rocky Three kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, friendly thing. Not, not like Kirk and Spot fight to the death kind of thing. I'm not down with any of that. <laughs> Unless that really cool music's playing in the background. I suppose. In which case, hey, anything goes. Get John Williams back for that. Yeah. <laughs> John Williams scoring Star Trek. Why did that never happen? <laughs> He'd lost in space instead. It's all out about. It's shocking. It is, actually. It is quite shocking. But thank you for your email. That was very interesting. Uh, our other email that we have for this show is from Chris Franklin. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Christopher. What a treat to find a Hey Kids episode awaiting me on Thursday, like the halcyon days of your... Well, the days of a few months ago, but you get the picture. What are you trying to say, Chris? Trying to say we didn't go away enough. I think that's what he said. <laughs> That's what everybody's saying. Yeah, Yeah, you said you were going to go away. (laughs) You made this big deal about going away. You did this whole final episode, and then a week later you were back. Well, it's all our encores. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What has somebody said on Facebook? The the most encore tours since such a band. I can't remember what band it was. (laughs) Hey, that's where the money is. Money's in the reunion tours. That's all I'm saying. Infinite Crisis. Hmm, man, that brings up some mixed emotions, writes Chris. I was both excited and frightened by the prospect of just what the new Didio regime was up to. I appreciated Meltzer's character bits in Identity Crisis, but did not care for the tarnish he applied to the classic comics in my long boxes. I feel the series is overrated despite the gorgeous Rags Morales artwork. Countdown to Infinite Crisis started out nicely and showed what a great character Ted Cord could be. Ted had been flirting with Barbara Gordon Oracle over in Birds of Prey, where Chuck Dixon made him a supporting character for a bit after Ted suffered a heart attack. As you can see, a lot of this is glossed over in this issue. It's a shame Ted got his best spotlight at DC right before he was gruesomely murdered on panel. This was definitely a shot across the bow that the new DC was a darker, nastier place. Which brings me to Infinite Crisis itself. The last page of the first issue had me pumped up. At last, the Earth 2 Superman was back. I always assumed he, Lois, Superboy Prime and Alex Luthor were alive in some unattainable pocket dimension per the end of the crisis. In the Kingdom mini-event, Mark Wade showed that Kal-El wanted out of his paradise, but this was during the introduction of the hyper-time concept that he and Grant Morrison developed, which Didio hated and abandoned. Nevertheless, Johns did pick up that long-forgotten thread and brought him back. 
I'll be honest, when previews for Zero Hour, another sequel to Crisis, came out, Parallax was obscured in shadow so as not to reveal him as the big bad. I thought E2 Soups may be the caped figure wanting to remake the multiverse. Turns out I was just 11 years ahead of myself. Power Girl was the Supergirl of Earth 2, of course, so having her origin restored made a lot of sense, although there is a huge plot hole for old-school Superman fans. E2 Soups never had a Fortress of Solitude. He had a secret mountain citadel on the outskirts of Metropolis, as his headquarters in some 1940s issues of Superman and Action, and later Superman Family and All-Star Squadron. I think you hit the nail on the head in your summation. Infinite Crisis is an unkept promise. In the end, the message of the story was ultimately pointless, since DC did not course correct from the darkness that they amped up for this series, but instead wallowed in it. I still enjoy the scope of it, but overall the unsatisfactory taste left by the last issue and the DCU that followed sours me on it. Since DiDio and Johns were prime architects of the DC before, during and after IC, I think you can lay the blame squarely at their feet. It was their ship to steer in different direction, and despite the promise made here, they failed to do so. There is a lot of infinite crisis that hinges on DC's history, but Johns has skewed it to serve the story, as you pointed out. Of course, Alex Luthor was not a manipulative mastermind as Johns portrayed it. Superboy Prime was from our far-from-perfect world, so why would he be so bothered by the dark DCU? These two characters are unrecognisable from their portrayal in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Power Girl had an often contentious relationship with her older cousin, as portrayed in All-Star Comics and Infinity Inc., so the shiny, happy father-daughter relationship Johns alludes to is somewhat false. The fact that it is blatantly obvious that Nightwing was meant to die shows how rushed this project was. Had they excised all the artwork and story elements leading to the neutered moment, it would have worked far better. DiDio had his sights set on Dick from the start, and in Forever Evil finally got rid of him, in a fashion, remaking him into an unthinkable gun-toting secret agent. Bah. Sorry for the grumpy old fanboy rant, but my DC was really put on life support here. It was the beginning of the end for that type of DCU I enjoy. And you guys quit picking on Earth 2's Robin's yellow tights. That costume is beyond reproach. Great shows, though. I thoroughly enjoyed the examination. Chris, well, first off, nobody can wear yellow tights. Yeah. You do that. We're always like, I'm sorry, Chris. I know you love that costume. Scott Gardner loves it as well. But I just, that's just the yellow tights just make me go, what? What fashion expert said to him, that's a good idea? If they were green, yeah. we'd probably not have a problem. Yeah. But the yellow, I just think the yellow looks a bit bad. Where does the yellow come from? The inside of his cape? Yeah. Huh? Well, his cape was just yellow, wasn't it? You're thinking of Tim Drake. I am. You're not thinking of Earth 2 Robin, which is a different so Robin. So that's where it came from. Yeah. 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 So the green tights that Tim Drake was are fine. Yeah. I have no problem with that. All the red ones? And the reversible cape. Oh, the red ones in the animated series, yeah. they're not garish. Yeah, but the yellow... Oh, no. Sorry. We're just going to have to agree to disagree, Sartorial. Yeah. On the yellow tights. I disagree. Uh, do you? What, with me? Agree to disagree, I disagree. Do you disagree that we're agreeing to disagree? I was doing it funny. Uh, we are. <laughs> it's been a while, I can't tell. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting to get a, a different Infinite Crisis perspective. Because like we said, just reading it in isolation and reading it now when it do not mean anything, because mm. that DC universe is gone completely, thanks to the new 52... It was perfectly, perfectly entertaining. Yeah. Good read. Very, very enjoyable. Anyway, that was the email sack for this time. We will play a commercial for a show, some description, and we'll be back with The Long Halloween. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? 
Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks. And though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale are one of comics' most prestigious creative teams, creating timeless works with classic characters that have managed to stand the true test of a masterpiece, time. It's a match that has brought us the already covered and increasingly misnamed Marvel Colors Trilogy, Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow and Hulk Grey, along with the recently completed Captain America White. They also teamed up for the criminally underrated Superman for All Seasons, the largely forgotten Wolverine Gambit, and the mostly ignored Challenges of the Unknown. It was on this latter series that the duo first worked together. Challengers is one of the first deconstructivist works in comics, tearing down the classic Jack Kirby concept and then rebuilding it for a new series that, sadly, never happened. On the face of it, Loeb and Sale aren't that compatible. Loeb writes big, cinematic, decompressed stories full of action, but with heart. Sale, like Steve Ditko before him, draws from life with his people looking as ugly as we all do, and his landscapes, although gorgeous and panoramic, recognisable and real places. Perhaps the shining world of the Challengers just wasn't the right fit for this team. As with a lot of creators, it took the Dark Knight to make them really click. As Loeb has told it, DC Comics editor Archie Goodwin, one of those rare individuals for whom nobody seems to have a bad word, contacted him to work on a three-part Legends of the Dark Knight story called Fears, but this morphed into a standalone Halloween special. It was special because that was supposed to be it. Of course, it's so like Gangbusters, the rather obvious idea of pairing Batman up with Halloween, working its magic in special and lucrative ways. A sequel was mooted by Loeb, pairing Batman up with Alice in Wonderland, that became another one-shot sales success called Madness. A third chapter, riffing on Charles Dickens, was called Ghosts. And then, that was it. Kind of. Goodwin pointed out that he'd always liked what Loeb had done with gangsters. Loeb couldn't remember having done anything with gangsters at all, and certainly not in his Batman run, but intrigued, Loeb asked Goodwin to speak on. Goodwin threw out a few ideas, using terms like film noir and names like The Roman, a crime family from the Batman comic book, specifically Batman Year One. With but a few choice words, Loeb's head spun with names and ideas. Black and White, Cagney, Bogart, Warner Brothers, and the wheels started turning. Mike Friedrich suggested the series run for a complete year, from one Halloween to the next, 13 issues in total. Mark Wade suggested using Harvey Dent as the main character, an idea that appealed to Loeb, and Archie Goodwin gave the series its name, The Long Halloween. Part one of the story is called Crime, and the cover, as all the covers for this series are, is by Tim Sale. Simple and evocative, a black cat with glowing red eyes looks at the reader from behind a pumpkin as the story opens on Halloween, hence the title. Mm-hmm. It's alright, isn't it? Yeah. Does the job. I believe somebody's pointed out I say a lot on the Fantasticast. <laughs> the thing with the covers for these... Symbolism. Yeah, primarily. And they're all pretty much of a likeness. It's, this is what... Ha- holiday it is yeah 
And there's other stuff there as well, like that's obviously representing Catwoman. Yeah. Because she has a major part to play in this story. But they're all, it's a Tim Sale cover, it's really good. Mm. And there's not really a lot we can bring to it. I mean, I like that this particular Halloween pumpkin has a big scratch across the forehead, like cat's claws. Yeah. Which is nice foreshadowing. And I like that the mouth is the bat, mm. but I'm pretty sure they did that on the cover of one of the Halloween specials. They did it in all the Halloween specials. The ghosts they? and the ones yeah. I just mentioned. All right, fair enough. But it's it's good. Mm. Don't get me wrong. So if we kind of gloss over the colours, the colours, the covers, lovely listener. It's not that we're doing them a disservice. It's just they're all be, a bit same. Yeah, and we'd be a bit same. It's Tim Sale. It's great. Move on. Mm. So we may just describe the covers from now on. Bruce Wayne is attending the wedding of Johnny Vitti, a wedding paid in full by Carmine the Roman Falcone, in exchange for Vitti not testifying against Falcone in court. Vitti is Falcone's nephew, and Bruce Wayne is only here as his parents were in tight with the Falcone family. Bruce knows that Falcone is a, so far, untouchable crime lord, and he makes it clear to Falcone that Wayne Enterprise will not support Falcone imports, unlike Gotham City's banks led by Richard Daniel. It's made clear a number of Falcone's supporters were encouraged to throw in, but Falcone refuses to do this with Bruce. After all, his vote would have made it unanimous, but it doesn't matter. Bruce is about to leave, but Selina Kyle will make staying a more enticing prospect. Falcone spots a spy in the garage, DA Harvey Dent. Dent is checking out the license plates of the attendees. Dent is warned off with a blow to the head, but Bruce and Selina find Dent and help him up. Dent heads straight to Captain James Gordon and tells him the war against the Falcones is going badly. Gordon tells him he has a friend who is interested in helping. That friend is currently at Falcone's wedding, but this time not in the guise of a spoilt playboy. However, the Batman has been beaten to the punch by Catwoman, who is also cracking the Falcone's safe for a sneaky peek at its contents. They're interrupted by Falcone's men, including Alberto, Falcone's son, and Falcone, incensed, offers $1 million for the heads of the bat or the cat. Gordon later introduces his friend to Harvey, the Batman. The three men agree to take down Falcone, but whilst Gordon will allow them to bend the law, they categorically will not break it. All three agree to these terms, and the Batman leaves them with Falcone's ledger. The next day, Bruce tries to prevent the Wayne board from allowing Falcone to run his dirty money through the banks, something Richard Daniel tries his best to block. But whilst Daniel is capable of standing up Bruce in the boardroom, he's got no stomach for dealing with the Batman. Daniel quickly resigns, a move that puts a target on his back, and Falcone rubs him out. With Richard Daniel dead, two bullets are then put into the head of Johnny Vitti, a daring kill but with no end of suspense. Not least Harvey Dent, who was seen manufacturing the weapon used to kill Falcone's nephew. The Batman and Gordon don't know this, but Catwoman, who is listening in, has a vested interest now she has a $1 million bounty on her head. Catwoman tells Batman and Dent that because Wayne has been preventing Falcone from using the banks, he's been stockpiling his money in a warehouse. Batman and Dent burn it to the ground. Dent returns home on Halloween night, satisfied with his work. As he enters the front door, an explosion rocks the house, and it, too, burns to the ground. Which is the end of chapter one. And that's probably one of the longest synopsises that this uh, series will get as we go through each individual issue. Because it's all set up, isn't it? It's all set up for what's to come. Uh, From the first page of this, Bruce Wayne saying, I believe in Gotham City. Mm. It's evident that Jeff Loeb should have been given a writing credit on The Dark Knight. 
yeah. from uh, the movie from 2008. The opening pages, that first line that I just mentioned, very much follow the same themes as that flick, and there are scenes and dialogue throughout this entire issue, but particularly in this first chapter. Throughout the, throughout the entire series. Throughout the entire series, yes, yeah, sorry. Throughout the entire story, the long the Halloween. last line in it as well. Yeah, it is. It's also, it's, it's used throughout the Dark Knight, so they've stolen an awful lot from this. And the burning of Falcone's money is one of the best set pieces in that film, although it's the Joker yeah. who does it in that Well, film. all the Harvey Dent stuff in this is pretty much used in that. Yeah, pretty much. All, all the Harvey Dent stuff in that is taken from this. Pretty much. They didn't use a great deal of the actual plot of this in Batman Begins. They kind of lent more on year one, didn't yeah. they? But you're certainly for the Dark Knight uh, Jeff Love should have got a story credit mm. I think but then you would be in the situation where the head of Marvel's television department had a story credit on a DC film yep. so maybe that's uh, that played into it you never know I hope was got... Jeff Love on Marvel TV at that point no Marvel TV didn't exist at the time this was created yeah. I don't think well Dark Knight I don't know 2000 and what was Dark Knight 2008 yeah what what were we up to in the Marvel film chronology at that point? Was Iron Man 2005 or 2003? Iron Man? Yeah, so then we'll have Iron Man... Was it? Yeah. So then you'll have Iron Man 2. So no, there was no Marvel TV at this point then. Because the Marvel TV only comes along after um, after the Avengers, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so there isn't a Marvel TV at this point. Um, I wasn't entirely clear on why Bruce would even attend the Falcone wedding... Other than it's dramatically richer for him to have a face-to-face with Falcone, rather than this be via a third party or over a telephone. I guess. I just got that it was, this is where all the big people go. Yeah, but Bruce has never been bothered about attending functions like this before. Falcone's a known crime lord. He's not, you can't prove it. Yeah. But he's known as events by the amount of times that the narration says untouchable crime lord. Yeah. Which gets pretty boring after a while, doesn't it? But... I didn't get why he even showed up for this. Bruce Wayne doesn't strike me the kind of guy you'd go... Unless, as as on the third page or whatever, Bruce is sneaking around, maybe he thought to, to be able to do some sneaking around while he was there. Yeah. And then Selina being there kind of scotches him. Mm. That's the only thing I could think of. I can't think of any other reason for Bruce to come to this. I mean, we find out later the connection between the Falcones and the Waynes. Yeah. But it still doesn't mean... It still doesn't give a good reason for Bruce to attend a, far, a party by a known crime lord. Just other than... Well, other than to set up the later plot development... Right. ...where Harvey thinks there's a connection between the two of them. Yeah. If Bruce isn't here for this, that becomes much harder for Harvey to prove. Mm. So it's kind of a contrivance that Bruce is here. But... We'll let it go because it doesn't it doesn't spoil anything, does it? There has to be some level of story manipulation to make it work sometimes. So mm. yeah, alright. I can live with it. The influences on this story are worn on its sleeve, the Godfather yeah. being the most obvious. You Try the cannoli. This yeah. my daughter's word. He practically says that. <laughs> pretty yeah, he does. Balcony pretty much says that. My nephew, Johnny Vidi. Yeah, and the the opening sequence is a wedding. Yeah. Which is the Godfather. And Try the Cannoli is the Godfather. Falcone's obvious anger later on when Batman and Catwoman are seen to be able to access his home. Mm. That's very Godfather. At points it borders on plagiarism. 
I suppose. I've never seen it, though, so... Have you never seen The Godfather? No. All right, so the, you didn't even notice that, so it doesn't matter. Then, I'm, I'm going to watch The Godfather and go, God, they, they should have given Jeff Loeb a writing credit. <laughs> You're going to watch The Godfather and go, this is just a rip-off of the long Halloween. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? What's the joke of doing in my bedroom? <laughs> Batman put a horse's head in my pool. I don't even know what voice I'm doing anyway. I, I was just going to ask, why is Eric Cartman in The Godfather? I see, you put a hazard for my bed, Eric <laughs> No, I think Cartman would be the one putting the horse's <laughs> head in somebody's bed. That's, that's probably true. More than likely. I'm sure that happened in an episode, actually. It probably did, knowing Cartman. Um, considering he's the world's greatest detective, Batman is not... I said Bruce, sorry, he's not Batman, is he, at this point? Bruce isn't terribly subtle about listening at Falcone's door. Well, it's early in his career. We'll, we'll give him a pass. Does that explain why he's dense throughout this entire story? Ye- yeah. <laughs> We'll come to that later. We've got that later. Harvey Dent's even less subtle, though. Harvey Dent, the district attorney, lest we forget, he's got quite a, a high position of prominence yeah. in the Gotham City hierarchy. He's just wandering around the car park copying license plates. How did he gain access to this car park? He's DA yeah. Harvey Dent. Security here must be gone. No wonder Batman and Catwoman were easy to get in. Maybe the security had the day off. <laughs> on the, on the, the wedding! On the security would be tip-top. If I was Falcone, I'd be firing his security guys. Well, he doesn't have to. Someone does it for him. That's very true. Somebody, yeah, somebody <laughs> takes that literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, sales art is absolutely glorious throughout. But um, there are a couple of exceptional touches that we're going to point out as we go along. Is Batman still a bit off? He's, he's not quite got Batman down yet. That will improve in the sequel. Dark Is it Dark Victory? Yeah. Which we'll also be covering in a couple long of... Long Victory. Long, the Long Victory. <laughs> and Dark yeah. Halloween. And the Dark Halloween. The Dark Halloween works. It does. As a title. I don't mind that at all. Is Batman... Yeah, there's something a little bit... He's too muscular. Yeah. And not lean enough. I know Batman is supposed to be muscular and a fighter, but he also has to be lean enough to be able to pull off all the acrobatics, doesn't he? Mm. So, yeah, he's a little bit too muscly in places, really. But And Catwoman is as well. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he's quite got that down yet. But his use of blacks is phenomenal. I really like his use of blacks. And the page where Harvey gets clubbed around the head... And then the panels break and then tumble downwards. I really like that and turn into black and white and then go black as he blacks out. Mm. That was really good. I'm very impressed with the shadows that Bruce's fedora as well yeah. casts over his eyes, making it look like he's wearing a cowl, which is just a magnificent moment. He does stuff like that throughout the entire series. It's quite Will Eisner. Yeah, there's a lot of Will Eisner to it. There's a lot of Steve Ditko in it. A lot of Frank Miller, yeah. in many ways, but Frank Miller himself is influenced by Steve Ditko and Will Eisner, so we'll go to the source in uh, in this case. Of course, when Sale has to go large, as with the two-prayed spread of Batman fighting Catwoman, he, he nails it, because it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. The pacing in some parts of this story is really, really good. Mm. And in some places, not so much. Yeah, his, his, he's the kind of artist who needs a lot of room to breathe. Which is fortunate that he's working with Jeff Loeb, who is the kind of writer who needs a lot of pages to tell his story, <laughs> even if he does not necessarily need that amount of pages. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Or it doesn't necessarily have to repeat the same lines of dialogue again and, and again, again and again. How much of that is for the monthly periodical, though? That's true. Yeah. But you do there is you do get to a point when this is clearly written for trade paperback publication. Yeah. That the constant repetition of untouchable crime lord really starts to get on your tits, doesn't it? Yeah. Or it did with me. Your your mileage with may vary. Uh, best of all, I do like Johnny Vitti's death, which is entirely in black and white, which is visually brilliant because it's offset by just the blood in his bath. Oh, all the death scenes are like that. Yeah. They follow the same layout Th- as well. Yeah, throughout the, the entire story, he does the same thing with the death scenes, and then the holiday killer always leaves behind the gun, mm. always set up the same way. Uh, nipple from um, a baby's bottle used as a silencer, the handle's always taped, yeah. and he always leaves a clue pertaining to the holiday that he killed this person on. In this mm-hmm. case, you know, a pumpkin, because it's, it's Halloween. Uh, we, do we ever find out exactly what Catwoman is stealing from Falcone's safe? Not that I remember. Or is that... Just stuff? No, there is a major revelation about Catwoman at the end of Dark Victory. Mm. So have you read that yet? Well, not for this reason. Do you remember what the revelation was? No. Alright, well, we'll let it slide then. I'm wondering retroactively if it was something to do with that. Right. And how much of the sequel Loeb had in mind when he told this story. Right. Because it may explain why I didn't find Long Halloween as satisfying as Dark Victory. Not to spoil what we think of it. Mm. Don't have to listen to the two episodes now. (laughs) But I I wondered if that played into it. Uh, Loeb was exceptionally good at writing a Batwoman and a Catwoman that just oozed sexual tension. That's why he always gets them together in all of his stories. He does, but he does it well. I suppose, but there's so many, so, so many times he can have them get together and then Not split at the end. Not get together, yeah. So, alright, fair enough. I, I get what you're saying. I liked it in this one. I felt it worked quite well. I liked it in this one and I liked it in Hush, but to have it in <laughs> And I liked and it in Hush, Dark Victory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I liked it every time that he did it. Okay, I, I take your point, that's fair enough. Um, Sale, as we mentioned already, really is the heir to the Ditko throne in terms of shadow and light. Perhaps more effectively even than Frank Miller, who we've also name-checked. The scenes in Gordon's office where the sunset beds the room orange is really nice. And the rooftop meeting between Batman, Gordon and Dent, the only light source is the bat signal. So that kind of silhouettes them against the, the light of the bat signal. Mm. That's all really well done. In fact, the colouring throughout the entire series, they, they've put a lot of thought into the colouring of it. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Um, in the introduction to the trade paperback version of this, right. not my version, the trade paperback version that came out when Batman Begins came out, I think. Mm. David Goyer and Chris Nolan talk about how this was a big influence on both Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Goyer says... This was the first time a scene appeared where Batman realised he needed to work with the law and teamed up with Gordon and the DA. Right. Okay. This isn't strictly correct. Okay. Elements of this story are very similar to Batman Annual Number 14 from 1990, which was written by Andrew Helfer, and that issue dealt with the origin of Harvey Dent. Right. And how his willingness to break the law... To bring criminals to justice ultimately led to the disintegration of his relationship with Batman and Commissioner Gordon. Does that sound familiar? 
Right, okay. I mean, Jeff Loeb's a creator, is very much a magpie, yeah. isn't he? He's very much takes elements from other works and then blends them all together to make his own. He's the Noel Gallagher of comic book writer. Yeah. In many ways. Playing Devil's Advocate, there is almost so much borrowed from The Godfather that it borrows on plagiarism, as we've said. And there is an awful lot from that Batman Annual 14 as well. Right. And then you're kind of left going, well, how much of this is, is original then? Yeah. The the murder mystery. I, just, I don't know if that's all that original. <laughs> By the time we get to the end. I'd say, I'd say the end definitely is quite original. Yeah, well, he, t- he takes a number of different influences. I just think, I love that annual yeah. from 1990, and I don't think it gets as much credit as it deserves. And large chunks of it are in this story. So maybe Loeb shouldn't have been credited for The Dark Knight, maybe Andrew Helfer should. But, you know, they're all they're all pissing in the same pool, aren't they? Yeah. Essentially, Andy Helfer probably stole a lot of that from 50s and 60s and 30s, 40s Batman comics. Mm. So it's all the same thing. Because one of the ways Batman's been... One of the ways he's survived and remained relevant is that he can be reinterpreted in many different ways. And the first chapter of The Long Halloween demonstrates this with aplomb. Placing Batman in a Godfather movie works a treat, as does the blending of other elements from earlier Batman stories. The 40s crime movies, noir stuff, all works really well, because Tim Sale excels at it. It's uh, a very good beginning. It is. Is it double-sized? It felt like it. Yeah, because if you have a look at the page numbers, we're up to page 40... 55. Because it took me a while to read this, then there were some issues that... You just blitzed through. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the first part of it is a nice slow burn introduction. Yeah. And then as he goes along, he, he starts stretching it. There are some issues which just, oh, they're on a plane for a couple of panels and the end. Yeah. There's a couple of, there's a couple of stories that are three paragraphs. Yeah. Of very short paragraphs as we get through. Batman punched someone. The killer, the killer shot someone. Yeah. Harvey Dent did something. Yeah. And then nothing happens for three months till the next holiday. Yeah. Chapter two is called Thanksgiving. The cover shows Solomon Grundy tucking into his Thanksgiving turkey. He's flanked by skeletons and he's got a little bib tucked in so he doesn't mess up his suit. Which I thought was adorable. Yeah. Solomon Grundy with a a bib. He doesn't want to get his shirt messy with food living in the sewer. No. (laughs) He doesn't want to get that ripped suit dirty. (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's riffs doesn't mean it has to be dirty. Yeah. Solomon Grundy looks suspiciously like Lurch from the Adams Family, but I think he always has, doesn't he? Okay. He's essentially just DC's Incredible Hulk, isn't he? Yeah. Solomon Grundy. Harvey Dent is dead, and the Batman and Captain Gordon have nailed a small-time gang called the Irish for the crime. They are Mickey the Mink Sullivan, Danny Boy Sullivan, Jimmy Slick, Dapper Kevin, and Willie Two Times. The Batman tracked a nail found in the bomb that killed the Dents to the Mink's credit card purchases, and the chase leads them into contact with Solomon Grundy. The Mink was a tad traumatised by this, but still puts up a front. He admits to killing Dent, but says Batman and Gordon's time would be far better spent proving Dent offed Johnny Vitae. The rest of the Irish follow suit, all confessing to their part of the death of Dent, and even an undercover operative, a not-at-all-dead Harvey Dent, disguised as the Mink, can't get them to change their story or even admit to knowing Falcone. Dent wants to release them and then leak word that they cut a deal. 
Gordon orders them charged, a waste of time. As Dent noted, they are out on bail in an hour. As Dent nurses his wife Gilda back to health and Gordon pisses off his missus by working on Thanksgiving, the Batman drops by Solomon Grundy with a turkey dinner. The Irish, meantime, sit down to their own dinner, an evening that ends in bloodshed when they are all shot dead. So there you go. Chapter 2 was much shorter than Chapter 1. It was. In many, many ways. Uh, Again, sales use of heavy blacks dominate this issue, an issue that takes place in a poorly lit police interrogation office, a sewer, and a jail cell. The use of colouring, particularly excellent in the last issue, is just as excellent in this issue. Purples representing the flashback of Batman pursuing the mink, and the confrontation with Solomon Grundy. And then they drain all of the colour out once again for the assassination of the Irish. I may question some of Loeb's storytelling decisions... But Sale's work is magnificent throughout this entire book. Yeah. And he only gets better for Dart Victor. Right. He's only just a constant improvement cycle, which is good. Uh, the full page shot of Solomon Grundy fighting Batman evokes Ditko's full page splashes of Spider Man fighting the Sinister Six. You don't do that a lot in this issue. This isn't light hush, is it? No. There is the feeling that he just keeps bringing his rogues in. Yeah to make them part of the story but it's never as a bigger thing as it is in Hush yeah in Hush it exists purely because that's what Jim Lee wants to draw yeah Jim Lee excels at whereas Sale excels at everything yeah but that that was very that's very Sinister Six and I liked it for that reason because that's that's what it reminded of absolutely stunning shot of Grundy's pissed off face entirely black and white except for his bloody nose yeah after Batman punches him he just stands there. Solomon Grundy. Born on a Monday. Like his frown as well. Yeah. All heavy black. And then he just grabs him and starts punching the shit out of Batman, which is always amusing. Uh, Harvey Dent. This bit stretched credibility. And I know we're in a comic book. Right. But Harvey Dent is apparently a good enough mimic that he can wear a Mission Impossible style mask and then completely fool the Irish gang that includes... The brother of the person he's pretending to be. Yeah. Which is the mink. I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I never buy that trick on Mission Impossible. I don't buy it here. He's a completely different body type to him. It's, it, this exists in the same universe where we're okay with Batman wearing his cowl with horns underneath the mask of another person. They don't do that anymore. They don't, but they did. They did, that's very true. But it is something you can get away with easier in a comic, but the Mission Impossible movies, he whips the mask off and then it's Tom Cruise. Well, this And it's like, you're a completely different body type. This isn't a movie, this is a comic. So, so did you buy can... that? Uh, did yeah. you buy that his own brother didn't recognise that it was her. Well, didn't recognise there was something wrong with Well, Harvey even points out he's amazed that they didn't notice. Yeah, Harvey's, Harvey points out that his Irish accent is a bag of, a bag of crap. Yeah, so <laughs> they're acknowledging that it's, it was flawed, but... <laughs> okay, but people still bought it. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. The word on the street, as Huggy Bear would say, is that Dent killed Johnny Vita. Batman doesn't want to believe that. Gordon is willing to, which I thought was a nice character touch. But this story would have been so much shorter if at that point Batman would have gone, alright, let's say you're right and we'll investigate that that course and see what happens. But I don't think you're right. But let's just see if you are and willing to be open-minded. 
If Batman wasn't so single-minded, this story would have been four issues. No, but then the killings would have still happened, wouldn't they? They would, yes. <laughs> yes, they would, as we, as we get to uh, to the end. Uh, Batman leaving a, a Thanksgiving dinner for Solomon Grundy's lovely. Yeah. It's a really nice, lovely human touch, which I thought was quite nice. I did question how we got that nice plate full of food so neatly arranged yeah. into the sewer until your mum said, well, all he clearly did was Alfred cooked it, he brought it over in the Batmobile, it's covered in tinfoil. suppose. He's just took the tinfoil off before he puts it out. And the sewers are connected yeah. underneath. I love how women, women connect. Yes, they are, as we find out in Dark Victory. Ridiculously <laughs> so. But we'll, we'll come to that when we cover Dark Victory. Um, it's quite telling of Jeff Loeb's storytelling style that seven full pages of this issue are devoted to the Solomon Grundy fight in the sewer. Yeah. That is of no relevance whatsoever to the it's overall a flat plot. Back, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, we need Solomon Grundy to be in the sewers yeah. for later on, and that also sets up events of Dark Victory. Right. But that seven-page fight scene doesn't actually serve the plot in anywhere. Mm. It's exceptionally well-drawn. But not necessary. But not necessary. Now, I like a good pointless fight scene right. as much as the next <laughs> comic book reader, especially one that, as this one does, just seems to take cues from Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1. But Loeb does have form in padding out his stories mm. with glorified cameos so as to make them the requisite number of issues to make a good trade paperback. And such is it here. Issue two of The Long Halloween has five pages of right. forward momentum because I went back and counted them. The Irish and the reveal that the dents aren't dead wrapped around a police procedural and a superhero fight. Now... The melding of genres with Batman works well, because mm. in addition to The Godfather this time, we're seeing clear nods to the Lee Ditko Spider-Man, or the Frank Miller Daredevil, take your pick, the CSI television franchise, and soap opera. And to Loeb's credit, he makes it work. Yeah. But already two issues in, and I was like, this seven-page fight scene serves no purpose, other than to look cool. Well, was it was it necessarily right in for the trade? Because 13 issues is an awkward number for a trade. Or was it more, they've decided they want to do a year-long story and so they have to make it last a year long? I think it's that one. Yeah. I think, although Mike Friedrichs, as we said in the introduction, came up with this on-the-face-of-it really good idea, let's make it run 13 issues, yeah. each issue takes place in a separate month, it runs for over a year. On the face of it, it's a stroke of genius. Yeah, but you need a flawless story to last yeah, that long. and this isn't it. Mm. And I do think you start very early on to see the cracks in the story by having to fit to that format. It's like he suggested that format and the story was written to it, as opposed to the story being written to that format. There are only a few problems I have with the format, as in they come up with a they come up with a revelation on one holiday, but then they only do yeah. something about it on the next holiday. Yeah, that, that's my only problem with it. Oh, my favourite is something completely different related to that, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. Because there's one bit where there's a line of dialogue that says, ah, yes, it's such a, such a yeah. holiday, so it couldn't have happened to be two. Shoehorns it in. Yeah, yeah. but, yeah, I, my, the cracks to me only started showing up in the last two issues. Really? Yeah. All right, see, see with this one, I felt it started coming off the rails a bit before that, and then the ending just went, What? Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll get them. Chapter 3 is called Christmas. A very Jerry Robinson-inspired Joker sits on a decorated Father Christmas throne. 
Tim Sale is good. Moving on, the Joker sits pondering the latest developments in Gotham, particularly who is the Holiday Killer. Being the Joker, he doesn't pussyfoot around and sets about learning who it is who gives a name to his pain. He pays a visit to Moroni, Gotham's number two crime lord, reasoning that Holiday has, so far, only killed Falcone's men. Moroni says Holiday is screwing up everybody's business, not just Falcone's. The Joker then heads to the new home of Harvey and Gilda Dent, where he proceeds to rough the DA up and tell him he wants Holiday. This town ain't big enough for two homicidal maniacs, and if the Joker is right and Harvey Dent is Holiday, then he'd better get out of town. The Joker's next stop is Falcone himself. He tells Falcone that if he doesn't find Holiday, the Joker will kill everybody in Gotham until he gets his map. On his way out, Falcone's bodyguard tries to stop the Joker, but the Joker makes his escape thanks to a deck of razor-sharp playing cards. As the Joker speeds away, Holiday makes his Christmas Day kill, Falcone's bodyguard. The scattered cards make it look like the work of the Joker, and the Batman vows to stop him. Uh, as you may guess from the synopsis, the Batman spends most of this issue following the Joker, never even coming close to apprehending him. Mm. The Joker dominates this issue. His mania over there being a new maniac in town is palpable. And Sale has apparently received some online criticism for his version of the Joker, but don't listen to him. Sale is so far the single best thing about this storyline. I love his Joker. Do you? His teeth are a bit. He has got a lot of teeth. It's very long teeth. Yeah. There are a lot of teeth, though. The but, long teeth. But I think Sale's a very stylized artist that you just have to accept those kind of artistic... Um, Choices. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm down with that. I don't I don't think he's something like like Bill Senkevich, who people had to learn to love. Mm. But I do think... Yeah, you're right. He has a very stylistic approach to the material... This is the way he's portraying these characters. He's not doing it on a regular monthly assignment, so I don't mind. Yeah. I'm willing to cut him that slack because he's not drawing Batman on Detective Comics. Mm. He's drawing the single self-contained storyline. Let's say if it was like Jim Lee or someone like that who was drawing the Joker with lots and lots of really long teeth, then maybe, yeah, that's a problem. But but it works for Tim Sale. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, glad we're on the same page with that one. Why does the Joker rob this family and steal their presents? I don't. I don't even know why the Joker's in this at all, to be honest. He wants the Joker to be in it. Yeah, and that's... <laughs> I liked the reason the Joker was in it. I like that the Joker is never fond of other homicidal maniacs, yeah. like random killers being loose I, in Gotham. I liked the Joker's... Um, he was just going to kill everyone on, uh, on the off chance that he killed the holiday killer. Yeah, that's in the next session. Yeah. But that is genuinely brilliant. I, I'm just going to kill everyone... <laughs> I like that, but I just, I don't, he's, he's only in here so that they can write and draw him. Yes, yeah. And as to the story, he doesn't move it along, it's just... Two issues of padding. Look who this, this month's yeah. cameo is. Yeah, you're absolutely right, the Joker is two issues of padding, that's undeniable. Uh, Calendar Man also makes a random appearance, unlike the Joker though. Yeah. The Calendar Man will prove his worth. And there's a lovely little bit in this, in that Calendar Man is the first person to point out that Holiday could be a woman. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice touch. What's interesting about this is how Calendar Man will develop over the series as well. Mm. Sale really develops Calendar Man as a character. Yeah. As he draws in more and more, certainly into that victory. 
as well, which we're foreshadowing a lot because we've already read it, or I have, in preparation for covering it. But it is interesting to see Calendar Man's story arc as well. He's in it for two pages, though. He is. So the rest is more of a recurring one instead of just a guest appearance. Well, he's got a vested interest in not liking Holiday. Essentially, he's stolen his shtick, hasn't he? Mm. Which is... I quite liked that. I thought that was quite interesting. This issue also plays with the popular idea that seemed to come to prominence in the 90s that Batman was in some way responsible for many weirdos and crazies that crawled out of the woodwork in Gotham. It's an intriguing notion... Uh, Batman himself doesn't seem to subscribe to it, does he? Mm. Batman seems to think that's that's poppycock in many ways. Again, as with the other issue, the colouring in this is just exquisite, beautifully manipulating a wider colour palette than in previous issues, as befits a more colourful rogue like the Joker, and a more colourful season like Christmas. Contrasting this, all of Batman's scenes are of a much darker hue particularly the scene where he confronts Moroni in the alleyway, yeah. where it's just white and blue, light blues, dark blues, a little bit of black. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. Every single page of this is absolutely gorgeous. They've done one of the noir versions of this, haven't they? They have. I can't imagine that this works in black and white, and you know I'm a huge fan of black and white. Well, Sale works in black and white. He does, but he's, he's worked so hard on the colour in this... Yeah, but ultimately those kind of things are just special versions, aren't they? Yeah. They're never, they're never the one to read. They're just ones that they're look just nice. So they can show off the artwork, yeah. isn't it? But certainly I think the colouring is so much a part of this. Mm. The bit where Harvey comes into his own house and the Joker is around his Christmas tree. Just look at the colouring on that panel. Yeah. The Joker is at the tree, so he's been lit by the lights on the tree. Harvey's walked into the otherwise dark room. I, I just think the colouring is so much, so integral to the artwork, I can't imagine the black and white version working very well. Yeah. I mean, I've not seen it, so, you know, I could be talking out of my ass. Mm. Nothing new, though. <laughs> but I, it's just such an important part of the story, I can't imagine it working. And there's this, this nice little scene with Harvey Dent and the Joker. Punching each other's lights out. That, you know could have some significance it could have it could have Mm. very possibly just saying pay attention Uh, speaking of the Moroni scenes though Batman at his most intimidating his reaction to Moroni pulling a gun is absolutely fantastic for a smart man that was not a bright move Mm. I like taciturn Batman yeah I like Batman that doesn't talk a lot I mean I grew up with the 70s and 80s Batman who didn't shut up (laughs) but I do like you know, Clint Eastwood Batman. Mm. When he speaks, when he has to. That's quite cool. Uh, it seems that everybody in this story is aware that Harvey Dent's a wrong gun. Yeah. Except Batman. <laughs> well, that'll uh, prove to be a problem It later will prove though. to be. A, and it does make him appear rather stupid. This entire <laughs> series kind of makes Batman look a bit stupid. Yeah, it, it does. Batman is constantly handed with enough evidence to put together who the killer is but he doesn't want to know yeah or certainly enough clues to leading down the path of who the potential yeah holiday killer could be yeah if Lob hadn't changed his mind the, I mean the killer could be standing there with three signs saying I am the killer yeah and <laughs> he just go, no I don't believe it yeah well 
the, see, the holiday killer's a bit of a strange one as we go through the story, and we'll we'll get to why when we ultimately spoil the big reveal, which, if you've not read this... Well, first of all, why are you listening to this? We're clearly going to talk about it in yeah. depth. So go away and read it and then come back, because we've not spoiled anything major yet. But so far, the holiday killer has hit specific people. Yeah. People with a connection to the Falcone family. The person you think might have done it has been written perfectly to be the person who did it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, killing Falcone's personal bodyguard didn't just seem like dumb luck. Yeah. But it fills the criteria of being, you know, a Falcone connection. I mean, it was very lucky that the Joker happened to be there Mm. to take the blame. That just seemed like dumb luck as well. Unless... Holiday is an inside man with Falcone right. and made the best of an opportunity. Right. Which would fit. Yeah. But doesn't. Mm. Because it's not him yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> it is him. It's not him yet. It's him, but it's not them because he comes after them who comes after him. Yeah, this who kills this one then? Him. Alberto kills this guy. Okay, we're just going to flat out and say... Yeah, we may as well. We're going to ruin it at some point. Yes, Alberto kills this guy. It's only until Alberto gets killed that it's then Gilda. And then after Gilda kills two people, it's Harvey. Yeah, Harvey killed Johnny Vitti. Yeah. No, because Gilda says at the end that Harvey took over from her. Okay, let's cons- let's go all the way to the end. I was convinced, and I've got, I've got it in my notes when we actually get there, but we're actually talking about it now. Johnny Vitti was the first. So Gilda killed Johnny Vitti. Yeah. And again, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right, so Gilda kills this guy. Yeah. Why he's in hospital. So Harvey Dent kills Alberto. Yes. So then Alberto's the last one. No, Alberto was shot on New Year's by Harvey. Right. Yeah, and Harvey takes over after Gilda, but Alberto is also... No, Harvey only commits the Alberto Falcone one. Does he? Yeah. Right, okay. But Alberto didn't actually die. Yeah. So Harvey's crap. Y- yeah, yeah. All right, we'll, 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 we'll get to it when we actually get to it chronologically. But, yeah, Gilda kills the first three. Yeah. Harvey kills Alberto, but fails, and then Alberto takes over. So three different people are the holiday killer. In fact, spoiling it's actually a good idea now, because now the reader... We can talk about it, yeah. Yeah, also gets to follow our train of thought as why we think this doesn't work. Yeah, up at this point, it's still Harvey Dent. You can read this, or I certainly did... As though it's Harvey Dent. Yeah, no, the story is leading you to think that it is Harvey Dent. Because it, he, he is. Yes. <laughs> Up until the last two issues, he is. No, he's not. Gilda's doing it. No, she's not. Gilda only did it in those last two pages in a crappy plot twist. Let me have a Up think. until those last two issues, it's Harvey Dent. That's not me saying it is. That's me saying it was until Jeff Loeb changed his mind. All right, do you think Jeff Loeb changed his mind? Yes. Right. Do you think that's what happened? If you read it, knowing that... Oh, all the clues point to it being Harvey Dent. Yeah, it doesn't work if you read it as anyone else, at all. It doesn't make sense that it's Alberto. It doesn't work. At all. If you read it as Alberto, it doesn't... There are some, up until he dies, it's steering you in that direction. There's a couple of bits, these motivations as to why. Gilda's completely left field. Yeah, the, the Gilda twist makes no sense. It only works and makes sense if it's Harvey Dent. Alright, okay, going through it then. So, Johnny Vitti was killed by... Yep. Gilda. Yep, okay. Because she wants to 
eliminate all the people that are causing Harvey Dent to have to work late. So that they can... So that they can have more time together and have a child. Yeah, identity crisis. Fair enough. So Gilda, Gilda Dent, we are led to believe, kills Johnny Visser. This bodyguard is killed here by Gilda Dent. Yeah. Okay. Why? Yeah. What has the bodyguard got to do with Harvey Dent's caseload? Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. Now, if, as you say, and you are right, (laughs) it's supposed to be Harvey, which is what all the clues are pointing towards, this does make sense. Yeah. Harvey is systematically taking out... The entire house. And also the people that can stop him from getting to Carmine, which is his ultimate goal. So that does make sense. It's only up until the coroner that things go a bit... Yeah, because that's an Alberto kill, isn't it? Mm. Also, so... And then the... the Gilda kills the Irish. Apparently so, yeah. That short-ass slip of a girl kills four trained killers. Yeah. I mean, I know she gets the drop on them. And again, that's why it's Harvey. Harvey just infiltrated them, and now he's just cleaning up loose ends. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all that it's killed, does it? No. Alright, okay. Well, now that we've ruined it, we're not saving it to the end. Let's talk about it as we go through the issue. Okay. So she's killed these first three. She's killed the Irish. She's killed the bodyguard. Okay. Alright. Uh, according to the story as is printed. Yeah. That Gilda, Gilda Dent has done all of this so far. Buy into it as much as you want, lovely listener, because I don't know that we do. Um... Whatever the case, you can follow the clues as you go along. The, the dumb luck associated with killing the bodyguard we've discussed. Whatever the case, Holiday always leaves his murder weapon at the scene. Mm. So surely a major clue for anyone investigating this case is who is buying shed loads of twenty-two caliber pistols. Well, they investigate that later. And that's what they follow up on. Yeah. Right. Good. So we're, th- that bit's covered. Because he's one of the victims. Yes, he is. Alright, okay. So in the issue, Loeb's upping the stakes on who the holiday killer mystery is. Each person in the story has a different idea of who it is. The Joker thinks it's Harvey. The Batman thinks it's the Joker. Yeah. The clues are all currently pointing towards Harvey, as, as Michael has pointed out. Only three issues in, yeah. you're kind of wavering as to whether it's too obvious to be Harvey. Certainly that was how I was reading it. Yeah. Yes, it's all pointing to it being Harvey. I felt that was too obvious. Obviously, Josh Loeb did. Yeah. Which is why he changed the story. Now, we don't know this for a fact, do we? Well, they're still toying with who it could be. They play around with the Roman, with Alberto, yeah. with his daughter. Yeah, there's, there's still a couple of other suspects at this point in the story. Are you following along, lovely listener? Are you okay with it? Yeah. What I, I urge you to do is read Long Halloween again. It won't take you that long. Yeah. And then, and then listen to these shows. Chapter 4 is New Year's Eve. The cover has Batman and the Joker toasting each other with champagne. The glasses shatter as they touch. We only see their reflective faces. As you would say, symbolism! <laughs> it's a good cover, though. It is. It is an exceptionally that, good cover. They both had a good laugh about a joke and then went on the merry way. Yeah, after a crippled bagger. Yep. Oh, how we laughed at that. And then, and then the Joker nearly died and the Batman regenerated. So, oh no, that was something else. <laughs> That's a completely different thing. Yes, okay. The Joker decides that if the Batman doesn't know who Holiday is, and he doesn't know who Holiday is, then why not bomb Gotham Square on New Year's Eve? After all, it's a hot spot for partygoers and the odds are Holiday will be there. To this end, the Joker steals a biplane, loads it with bombs, and plans to drive it straight into Gotham Square's clock tower. Save the clock tower! The Batman 
is on the case in this very 1950s pastiche yes. of all Batman comics. Elsewhere, Harvey Dent is working late when his new assistant, Vernon, he may become important, throws a wrinkle into the holiday investigations. He claims to have found a connection between Falcone and Bruce Wayne. Harvey heads home, conflicted. Gilda has arranged an impromptu party at the Dents with the Gardens, and Harvey is forced to tell Gordon his suspicions about Bruce. In another elsewhere, Falcone's luxury yacht, the new year is going about as well as can be expected. Falcone mentions to Moroni that he notices the holiday killings are only targeting Falcone's men, and that Moroni had best watch his back. Falcone feels that same advice could be given to himself, as he even starts to doubt his sister, Carla. If not for Alberto, Falcone wouldn't have anyone he could trust. Which is a shame, as on the very next page, the holiday killer apparently puts a slug in Alberto, and his body falls over the side into the water. Back in Gotham, the Batman manages to climb up the biplane, hitting the Joker with a love tap, and piloting the plane into the water, saving Gotham. For reasons I'm not that clear on, the Batman thinks this may be the year the promise he made to his parents can be fulfilled. <laughs> but what was that last bit about? I don't know. Okay. Um, brilliant splash page of the Joker wearing a fly, like, fly, flying cap sorry, and goggles. It's very Warner Brothers. It is. It's hysterical. Mm. In fact, this entire issue is hysterical. Yeah. I don't know why you decided we needed a comedy issue in the middle of this quite dark, serious crime. Especially story. when it's by and large pretty useless. Throwaway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is completely throwaway. But you've got to love the Joker's plan. Right, okay. Well, Gotham Square's always busy on New Year's Eve. Holiday, maybe, though. <laughs> Why don't I just bomb it? <laughs> but what if, he's, what if he's not, though? Well, I had a good laugh. Yep. That's the plot of the issue. Yep. Which is just absolute genius, it has to be said. The Joker has killed the flight crew. And took the time to decorate the front of the plane... Under yeah. the propeller... Yeah, yeah. With a smiley face. I did think that... <laughs> This issue is brilliant. <laughs> there is something inherently cool about Batman fighting on the wing of a plane. And someone at DC has realised this because they do it an awful lot. Do they? Death haunts the killer skies. Okay. Comes immediately to mind. But I'm sure there are other times Batman's fought on a plane. He's done it on a Zeppelin in Batman the Animated Series. Say, it's usually blimps. Well, in the Animated Series it is, but I'm sure they've done planes a couple of times in the comics. Because it is cool. Yeah, well... The, the Rocketeer. Yeah, okay. It's cool in the racketeer, isn't it? Again, that was a blimp. Yeah, that was a hell, and it was a plane as well. Okay, it was both. Right. I did both. Okay, pay attention. Don't fall asleep to the racketeer. I think I slept to the end. I of it. think you did. Yeah. Uh, is Vernon? Why have I got that as a no? I know who's Hollander. I'm going to skip that. You know, if this was actually, it probably would have worked if it was if Vernon. Vernon being being um, Holiday would have worked. He looks an awful lot like um, the the not the puppeteer. The he does. Is it? Yeah, um, um, Socko. Ventriloquist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does look like the ventriloquist, you're absolutely right. This issue, if it was just a standalone Batman fights the Joker on a biplane, it would be utterly magnificent. Yeah. Just a standalone issue by Loeb and Sale where that's all that happens. It's New Year's Eve, Christmas special, Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah. New Year's Eve special, whatever. Batman fights the Joker on a biplane because he's going to blow up Gotham Square. It, and it, it, on that level, it's genius. Yeah. Absolute genius. Or it could have been one of those Vertigo things where it's set during the long Halloween. Yeah. But it's just a short six-issue story. It's just a short, separate storyline. That's absolutely fantastic. Sadly, we keep getting interrupted by all this wonderful Batman the Animated Series stuff by the goings-on at the Falcone yacht. 
Yeah. But I, I like the Falcone stuff. Uh, the Falcone stuff is great. But it's very kind of... It's jarring. Yes. It, it, it's two completely different storylines that do not in any way complement each other. It's Warner Brothers and HBO. Yeah. And serve no purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's Batman the Animated Series intercutting an ep- episode of The Sopranos. Mm. And it didn't work. <laughs> Oh, no, that's not fur. It does work. It's just a bit... If you read the Batman Joker bits as completely separate. Yeah. Separate episode. And then the Falcone bits carry on the long Halloween story. Mm. I mean, it was like a big deal, though. Who gave it to us about Alberta? Yeah, they were setting him up as being the son who was never hugged enough as a child. Which is ultimately the reason that he gives for what he's done. But then they kill him off before he can become... Notable, yeah, which leads to one of my big problems with this entire story. Yeah, the guy that they ultimately pin this on gets killed here in part four of the story. Yeah, that's a massive red herring because mm. you're not, you're instantly not thinking that it's this guy because he's dead. Yeah, yeah. When you start to think it could be him, he dies. Yeah, he gets shot. And then there's too much more story that you forget about him completely. Yeah, you could, the fact that he gets revealed later on to be both alive and be holiday just makes you go, what? Yeah, it's double BS. Yeah, it really... It, the, the, the holiday mystery pitch just doesn't work. No. When you start sitting and thinking about it. I mean, um, or it doesn't for all. Maybe it does for you, I don't know. Uh, another shout-out to the colouring, especially the Dent household, lots of lovely reds and oranges. The glow of the of the fire on New Year's the Eve. Panel with the fridge, especially. Yeah, when Harvey Dent's looking in the fridge, so he's cold blues, and Gordon's coming in from the living room where the the fire's on. Mm. So he's all oranges and, and yellows. That's lovely. Absolutely. See that that would not work in black and white. No, at all. So I don't know. Um, you know, as you you may have guessed, lovely listener, as uh, our conversation has has, has gone on. Taken on the one hand of this being a Batman Joker romp, it's absolutely glorious. Yeah. It's full of really witty dialogue. There's some exemplary Tim Sale artwork. His Joker has a touch of Walt Simonson, a dash of Alan Davis, but with added Tim Sale for good measure. The Joker's plan is as batshit crazy as any other he's ever been involved with. Makes just as much sense as anything else he's ever done. And for the most part, this is massive fun. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's brilliant fun. On the other hand, this moves the holiday investigation along at the pace of a lame snail. It, it's massive fun, but it doesn't deserve to be in this story. No, it, it, there are four pages. Yeah. Four pages in this issue that progress the holiday story. And I know that somebody's going to go pacing. That's not pacing. That's stopping your story to have a little bit of fun with the Joker. Yeah, again, with this kind of story... They've, they've planned out the, a specific time period for how long it's going to last. Yeah. And so the odd issue to have a bit of fun is all right, but you need... But a, maybe then they shouldn't have had any of the Falcone stuff in this issue. Yeah. Should have just been a Batman Joker romp. Mm. You know, maybe a little bit at the beginning were, oh, what are you working on, Master Bruce? Yeah. Oh, these Falcone killings are really getting on my nipple, that's Alfred. In, in the middle to give you a little breather in quite what's yeah. a dark story. Yeah, and then at the end, oh, did you catch the Joker, sir? Yes. Now I'll go back to having my nipple nut squeezed. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Story progressing. Um, the, the fact that Bruce is connected to Falcone also seems tacked on. Because we know that's not going to work. We know that's not going to pan out. Yeah, but it's it's interesting to see what they do with it. And it makes sense. It works. They don't do anything with it. It's tied back to his dad and... Of course. Yeah. Daddy issues. Yeah. Oh, the best cowboys have daddy issues. 
Um, I mean, it's not quite hush. Yes, it's not. We're, we're sat there going, well, at least it won't be the Riddler. <laughs> at least it's not the hush where <laughs> it's pinned on Bruce Wayne from the start because of his childhood friend, because of the parents. Cause, because of Tommy Elliot. Yeah, yeah, because of this new character we've just brought in. Who who's, who's, couldn't possibly be the killer. But he couldn't possibly be the only suspect. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't be the Riddler. It won't be the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we can safely say that about the long Halloween. That's who it is in this. It won't be the Riddler. That's why. That's why he didn't get killed. Exactly. When we get there. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's very true. Chapter 5 takes place on Valentine's Day. The cover has a cat nibbling on Batman's head inside a heart. Aw, oh, Catwoman. I love a lot of scratches again. Yeah. And Falcone has three scratches on his face. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, that was a nice bit of symbolism. Yeah, I thought that was quite good. Captain Gordon and Harvey Dent make a call on Wayne Manor to speak to Bruce. Bruce is away, it is. After all, Valentine's Day, Alfred informs them. Gordon is by the book. Dent is less than subtle. Did Thomas Wayne ever have any dealings with a man named Falcone? Alfred ignores the question, merely pointing out that surely they have more important things to do on Valentine's Day. The penny drops. They haven't bought their wives anything. Batman drops by Falcone, who is laying a rose on Alberto's grave. Batman points out that directly or indirectly, Falcone has killed a lot of sons. Is this life worth it? Falcone pulls a gun. Catwoman knocks it out of his hands with a cat o' nine tails. Batman was never worried. They grapple. Suddenly it's Valentine's night and Selina is with Bruce when a woman approaches offering to sell a rose to Bruce. Selina treats him, but as he takes the rose, the thorns cut his skin. Over at Maroney's Italian restaurant, Vernon, Harvey Dent's assistant from last issue, is taking a bribe. Vernon tells Maroney that Dent is after Maroney, thinking he's the weak link. He is. Holiday hits Maroney's place hard and fast, killing all the bodyguards and many of his guests. A heart-shaped sweet box is left at the scene. Coincidentally, the same heart-shaped sweet box that Gordon and Dent have bought for their wives. Clue. Back at the manor, Bruce arrives home more taciturn than usual. Sniffing the rose, he walks through the manor to the balcony where poison ivy awaits his arrival. No man can resist his allure. Right, I can't to the last page of this. Well, before we get there, hmm? what we're saying about it only taking place on holidays. Yeah. On New Year's, on, on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. Yeah. They decide they have to do something about Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. It takes them over a month to actually do something. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that just gets worse. Yeah. As the story goes along. But that's a major inconsistency. I've got that when we get to the issue where Bruce is on trial. Yeah. So we'll we will cover that. Have no fear. Um, again, we'll we'll avoid re- avoid redundancy by mentioning Sales' rendition of Wayne Manor, which is brilliant. And we won't mention again how great his Alfred is and his great use of shadow and lighting. Let's just tick those boxes. Yeah. And move on. I do wonder why in Wayne Manor Alfred can't put a light on. Suppose, yeah. Probably, probably costs a lot of money to light that out. It, it probably does, yeah. Well, he just walks around with a candle, <laughs> <laughs> like Fingo in Dickens. Yeah, well, Alfred's Dickensian. Doesn't Bruce say in Dark Victory that he only uses a couple of rooms in it? The rest is empty. He says that in the first movie as well about Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah, I've never even been in this room. <laughs> I can totally believe. Anyway, right, yeah. So in the last issue. Alberto was killed by Harvey Dent. Yes. And Gilda figures it all out at that point when Harvey comes home with wet hair. Yes. From a boat. Yeah. How did he get home from that boat? He's, he's, on, a, he's on a speederboat. Oh, right, later on he's in the... He's in the right, wetsuit okay. on this little speedboat. Right, so that does get explained in a later issue. It's a bit woolly, but... Uh, yeah. It has to do, doesn't it? It's a lot woolly. But from this point on, then, Alberto's yeah. the killer. 
Okay. Yes. Because she says on the last page, Alberto Falcone was shot on New Year's home and you came home like that. Your hair was wet even though you were wearing a hat. A hat. I found the gun in the basement. You told me it was evidence. I knew you had the same idea as me. You picked it where I left off. So she thinks... Yeah. That he's killing people so they can have time to have a child together. This woman is insane! Yeah. You yeah. do know that! <laughs> right? And then at that point, both of them stop the killings. Yeah. And Alberto is holiday from now on. So why does Alberto take over? I don't know! It's, yeah. <laughs> I've got a clue! <laughs> but, this being Harvey Dent, <laughs> the fact that Vernon... The ventriloquist says, Harvey Dent thinks Maroney's the weak link for the next page. Mm. Maroney's to be shot dead. Yes. It's good, though. But it's not Harvey Dent. No. No, it's it's not it's, Harvey it's, Dent. It's, it's Alberto. It was never meant to be Harvey Dent. Of course. Unless, unless this is still Harvey Dent at this point. It's always Harvey Dent. <laughs> is that your thing? Up until the flashlight on his face, it's Harvey Dent. Yeah, because why would... Why would Alberto kill the Maronis? Yeah, exactly. But the but the last page makes it seem that this is where Gilda stopped at this point. Yeah. And so the last page of the entire uh, issue 13 makes out that Alberto takes over at this point. If Harvey Dent was going to kill one person, one person to get his life back on track with Gilda, why was it the son of the person he was trying to kill? I've no idea. Exactly. <laughs> you made me go what? If right, so if the guy who all signs are pointing to murderer Harvey Dent only killed one person, yeah. why was it someone so But why was it Alberto? Exactly. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. If his if his motivation is to get his marriage back on track, why was it the useless son nobody cared about. Well, that wasn't his motivation. That was Gilda's motivation. Yeah. Gilda attributes that motivation to Harvey. Harvey's not thinking that at all. So what's his motivation to kill Alberto, then? He doesn't have one. Exactly. There is no yeah. reason to kill Alberto Falcone. It's... The Maronis, yeah, big yeah. crime family. Harvey's just pissed off with the system not working. By that, yeah. all, most of the other deaths... By them as well for the same reason, but it's no reason to kill Alberto. And and it's not Gilda at this point, is it? It's Alberto. So when no, no, that's what I'm saying to you. It, it, it must still be Harvey at this when point. When Commissioner Gordon and Harvey bought those boxes of chocolates, yes. they didn't bump into Alberto at the same store. Who like also the bought the same box of chocolates? Yeah, yeah. And no, this this must still be Harvey. I love that the, the they stopped their investigation simply because they did not bought any chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> Police work can wait. <laughs> That's the reason they don't go after Bruce Wayne for another two months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Anyway, this issue. Um, Gordon is really characterised quite well. He's very uneasy about the fact that um, Harvey's just yeah right. So is Bruce Wayne involved with Falcone? And God's just sat there going, no, Harvey, that's not how we do it. That was good. Mm. And Alfred's as brilliant as ever. Yeah. Because Alfred is just brilliant. But you've got to ask the question, how stupid is Falcone? Mm. Because he knows he's a target for holiday. Yeah. His son, many of his men are already dead. He goes to the cemetery at night. Yeah. On his own. 
Yeah. There are no bodyguards in these scenes. There's no indication that there are any bodyguards in these scenes. Doesn't he just believe that he is just untouchable? So he believes that enough, even though all these killings are happening, that he will go to a cemetery in the middle of the night. I just got that he was too big-headed in his position to even consider. But surely after this point he would reconsider that, given that both Batman and Catwoman get close to him. Yeah, but If either of these two had been the holiday killer, he'd be dead. I suppose. So that's... Because you know, Batman just walks up to him. There's yeah. a lovely wide shot of the cemetery. That's just because Batman can walk up to anyone and you wouldn't know. In snow! Exactly, yeah. <laughs> he just hovers. Glides. <laughs> Alright, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Catwoman's been away for a bit, but now she's back. But that does not tie into uh, When in Rome. That's the next one. Yeah. So she's just been obviously doing her own investigations. Um... I didn't get the cut between the cemetery and the opera. One minute we're in the, the cemetery and then we cut and Bruce is with Selina on Valentine's night at the opera. Oh, it's, it's just the connection between the imagery. So Batman and Catwoman just said, all right, then, well, I've got to go now, bye. It's a, oh, shoot, I've got a date with someone. Oh, <laughs> me, me too, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I... I I felt that was a very abrupt cut. I get what you're saying, that the link between the two panels is just a scene transition. Yeah. It's a very good scene transition. It felt like there was something missing between that scene transition. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, the, the entire pages are quite a reverse as well. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. You know, these two pages here, so you got... You connect the images there of the hands. Yeah. And the next one's them together... And then you close so yeah, the, up the panels. Uh, the panels do the opposite on page 141 that they do for 140. Yeah. So you go from the small panel where they both grab hold of each other's hand, they grab hold of each other's hand on the top of the next page, and then the panel structure essentially reverses. Yeah. What is panel 4 of page 140 is panel 1 of 141, yes. and so on and so forth. So could this be a commentary on the duality of vigilanteism? It could be. <laughs> or it could just be Tim Sale's really clever. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> either one works. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, again, the holiday killings seem to rely an awful lot on luck. The yeah. last time the Joker had been there was the background for the kill. Something they couldn't have planned for. Doesn't matter who holiday is, whether it's Gilda, Harvey, or Alberto. <laughs> whether it's any one of those three, yeah, they couldn't have planned for the Joker being there. The whole point of the Joker is he's random, mm. so they couldn't have planned for that. So that was just dumb luck. Something they couldn't have planned for here, the only way they managed to get the drop on Moroni's men is because they disobey orders. Yeah. They all sit in the car because it's cold. If they hadn't done that, if they'd followed their orders and stood outside, It'd as Moroni asked them to do... Trickier kills. ...was Holiday's plan to bomb the car and kill everyone that day, that way? Because the car just blows up on the next page. Cars, despite what you may have seen in 80s action films, yeah. don't just blow up. So, was there a bomb under the car that caused it to explode? Maybe they should have died later on, or... I don't know, I mean... Well, the, the gunshots go off first, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, when he kills them in the car... I mean, he kills them all first, doesn't he? She. Yeah. Whoever it is. It's Alberto. Sh- yeah, it's Alberto. Well, no, this is still Harvey, surely. No, it's Alberto. Why would Alberto kill these guys? Why would Harvey kill Alberto? Harvey has got more to gain by killing these guys. But he killed Alberto. <laughs> Why? Because we're told he did. Alright, okay, fair enough. Alright, 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 okay. Al- Alberto <laughs> is now holiday. Alberto's not got 
but that just makes it even worse. Yeah. That this was just dumb luck. That he kills the Maronis. Unless there was a bomb in the car and it, it was just dumb luck that you were in the car this early. Unless Alberto's killing the Maroni. No, you're right, it is Alberto at this point. Because Alberto is killing the Maroni so he gets to spend more time with Daddy. Yeah. So basically this entire story is about people with Daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. Somebody somewhere did say once, all American fiction can be boiled down to children's problems with their dad. Well, the only reason they're killing star in the first place is because a woman wants to spend more time with her husband. And they want a child. Didn't they do that in Identity Crisis, but uh, they, they did do it in Identity Crisis, yeah. I, I'd forgotten that connection. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Anyway, you know, not much really happens in this issue. Firstly... The problems of having an idea for a story where the people are killed on a holiday starts to rear its head. As Michael's pointed out, it's been six weeks since the last issue. Yeah. So Gordon Dent are only just now visiting Bruce. Six weeks. What have they been doing for six weeks? Uh, Sit on their ass? Paying, paying attention to their wives. <laughs> yeah, forgetting <laughs> that it's Valentine's Day. Yeah. That's apparently what they've been doing for six weeks. It's not like this is part of an investigation, though, or a lead of substance that they had to look at and examine. This was an off-the-record chat. Vernon just tossed it out there. Yeah. Harvey just went, oh, yeah. Did his own little bit of investigation, went to Gordon, and then waited six weeks mm. to go and have a chat with Bruce. They could have done this on January 2nd. Yeah. Clearly they could have done this. On, I, I, I don't like Sales' interpretation of Poison Ivy either, which is a shame, because I like Sales' versions of all the other characters, but this one... I don't get all the leaves coming off of her. Nah, I quite like it. I, yeah. I, I guess they're just kind of growing off her, I guess. I, you know, I suppose it's better than them all covering her tiny little bits with leaves. Yeah. Um, my, my problem with Poison Ivy in this is... Jeff Loeb obviously has quite likes men being submissive to her. Yeah. I mean, he did it again in Hush. He did. And also... Um, Falcone hired Poison Ivy yes. to brainwash Bruce yes. to get him to accept the Falcone money. Yeah, to, to basically sign up with the banks. Despite the fact that in the first issue yes. he says, no, we do not need Bruce Wayne. We don't Wayne. need Bruce Wayne. We've got everybody else in our pocket. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. That's something I hadn't twigged, but you're right. There's no there's no reason for this. I mean, unless killing off the banker, they desperately need somewhere to put it. But then why would you hire Poison Ivy to for Bruce Wayne? Yeah, I mean, even though he killed Richard Daniel, he still had the banks in his pocket at yeah. that point. Killing Richard Daniel at that point made no difference to him, yeah. per se. Yeah, he's already he no longer he has Bruce. any money to put into Wayne Industries. That's 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 also very true. I will also let's look at the 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 other things that we've talked about. The clues in the story, as you've already pointed out, are that Holiday is Harvey Dent. Yeah. From the clues in the story, no other conclusion is possible. The only other possibility, the only other logical suspect, is Carla Falcone. Well, they play with her later, don't Yes. So at that point, you, you're kind of going, well, okay, Harvey Dent's a bit obvious. It could be Carla. Yeah. She is a logical suspect in reading this story. Yeah. Never really addressed again. Well, Alberto was logical, and then they killed him too early for it to be logical. But that's the thing. that By killing him too early, they cheat. Yeah. Don't they? That, that's what happened. If they're going to bring him back and have him be the killer, then maybe issue eight and nine would have been a better place. Possibly. But they're also trying to implicate Bruce here. But again, as the reader, we know that's not going to happen. We yeah. know it's not going to be Bruce Wayne. So, 
So in the terms of story, the, the two suspects it's pointing towards are Harvey Dent now and Carl. Yes. One of those is a red herring. Two of those <laughs> is a red herring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chapter 6, since Patrick's Day. I don't like Seal's version of Poison Ivy, as I've already said, but that cover's good. I really like that cover. Yeah, the cover heavily shaded. I really do like I love that she's wearing a Batman necklace. Mm. That's quite cool. But yeah, really nice cover. Good cheekbones. A mysterious figure is released from Gotham Penitentiary, as if it means something to us. It doesn't. It's Falcone's daughter, Sophia. Sophia visits Carla, who still has the gun that killed Alberta. It's a twenty-two, the same kind of weapon that did in her son, Johnny. Sophia is here to do the respect thing and tells Carla they aim to hit Maroney on St. Patrick's Day. Falcone thinks Maroney is Holiday, or at least knows who he is. Carla gives this endeavour her blessing. Elsewhere, Bruce Wayne, under Ivy's thrall, tells Wayne Enterprises he made a mistake. Following the death of Richard Daniel, he is more than willing to throw in with Falcone. To prove his point, he authorises the transfer of $350 million. As Bruce returns to his car, Selina Kyle, who was waiting for him, spots Ivy. Catwoman heads over to the manor and forces Ivy to flee. With Ivy gone, Catwoman is able to free Bruce from her control. Gordon and Harvey continue their investigations. Dent is still obsessed with Bruce. Gordon thinks Maroney is the weakest link. Vernon continues to listen at the door. Carla arrives at Maroney's too late. Holiday has already arranged their own St. Patrick's Day massacre. This changes things. Catwoman summons Batman with the signal. Batman is forced to thank Catwoman for what she did with Bruce. After all, Bruce is a friend. He wonders why she did it. In time, he'll know. Batman ponders how he's going to fix the damage he did under Ivy's control, a subplot that he's never followed up on again. In Falcone's office, Falcone pays off Ivy. Yeah. Very bitty, this issue, isn't it? Mm. Very, very bitter. The opening has Sophia uh, Falcone Gigante. Why has she got that Gigante name? Is it not just... It refers to someone else in the later... In that victory as well. Right. Is it not just... A, a, a husband term. or something? I don't know. It could be. It's played as if we give a damn about her in the opening. It's all shadows, a face and form are obscured. I think it's more just set up, like, who's this? More drama. Yeah. I kind of got it, it's like in, in Force Awakens, like before Kylo Ren took his mask off, like it's going to be a big deal. This person has been released from jail. And then it's like, oh, right, okay. He's got a daughter. Alright. Yeah, I just got it as a bit of an atmospheric build up yeah it's okay I suppose it's you know you know calling us Sophia is presumably another nod to the Godfather Sophia Coppola yeah so they, they do keep saying like all the way through it though like Sophia Falcone the Giganta yeah Big Barda yeah because she's big yeah she's quite a large a large boned woman and, and she gets the uh, claw marks across her face later on yeah it? which tie in with uh, what her dad has on his face so um, Bruce being lost in the green whilst under the influence of Poison Ivy conjures up images of Swamp Thing. He keeps saying the green as well. Yes. So I, I, I presume under that... the influence of the green. I presume life is good in the green. <laughs> Love's not subtle sometimes. About a thing. Because <laughs> every little thing's going to be alright. Um, Denton Gordon's class in ideologies is showing for the first time. Which is nice, but Gordon's already at the point where he's, he suspects something's off with Harvey Dent. Yeah. Uh, so Gordon's obviously a better detective at this point than Bruce Wayne is. Yes. Because Bruce Wayne doesn't want to believe any of it. <laughs> uh, I did want to know where Alfred was while this Poison Ivy stuff was going on. 
tied up. You think? Could be, yeah. Just locked in the basement or something. It, it, right. it works. Yeah, yeah, that works, yeah. Uh, Catwoman is incredibly muscular in the scene where she crosses the dinner table to get Poison Ivy. Mm. And she has that tail as well that really doesn't strike me as very practical. Well, this costume around this era wasn't that great, was it? Isn't this the Jim I Like Boobs Balint costume? Yeah. Copyright Michael Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's... Th- that tail just... No. I mean, I first saw this costume in Hitman. Oh, yeah. John McCrea really... Uh, yeah, John McCrea didn't draw it very well. No. He's a very good artist, don't get us wrong. But he didn't draw that particularly well. Uh, Ivy seems to be controlling Bruce, thanks to large amounts of weeds wrapped around his chest... Yeah. There are thousands of them when Catwoman rips open his shirt. But before she did this, there was no unsightly bulge. He had some of it coming out of his sleeves. Yes, he's got a bracelet of leaves around maybe, his wrist. Maybe if all the leaves were controlling his body and he was, I don't know, trying to fight. Yeah, well, possibly. Or maybe they've just grown as he's under attack, or... What, as a shield? Yeah, he kind of like just had wrists of, of a man. Yeah. And then they've grown underneath. Because there's no way you could have kept that hidden under a shirt. It's a bit of a silly way to show that she's taken over him anyway. Especially as soon as we know that. Yeah. You know, it's it'd be visually interesting if we didn't know that that's what had happened. Did he ever actually use this again? Like, any time Poison Ivy's ever bring up someone... She normally does it via lipstick. Perfumey stuff, doesn't yeah, it? Rather than was fake lips. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. It did, it did seem a little bit odd, but yeah, you can live with it. It's visually interesting, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But yeah, normally Ivy controls people with potions. Yeah. Rather well, the Catwoman kicking Ivy's ass is pretty. Yeah, badass. that is pretty cool. Uh, a few issues ago, the Joker was planning to drop a bomb on Gotham. On the off chance that he nailed Holiday. Here, Falcone has his daughter hit Maroni. On the off chance. Yeah. That Maroni is holiday. Well, Falcone getting hit and Maroni is two birds, one stone, really. Yeah, well, but it is it is kind of showing that both Maroni and the Joker are as insane as each other. Only one is a thug that hide behind a veneer of civility and the other is the Joker. Yeah. Who doesn't give a toss about civility, so all right, fair enough. It looks like Maroni sees Sophia and leaps to the conclusion that she is holiday. Hmm. But there's still no other clue as to who Holiday could be, other than the obvious Harvey Dent. Yeah. A little bit of leaning towards Carla. She was still my only other suspect at this point that wasn't Harvey. She was in prison whilst the first killing suit place, though. That's also very true. His sister, because he played about with her. Yeah. Could have been her. No, Carla is his Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. She was the only one who one I felt was a legitimate yeah. suspect. I did like the scene where, um, oh, thank you for what you did to Bruce Wayne, uh, we're friends. But I take his photographs, I bodyguard for him. Yeah. That was a bit... Um, I, well, I've got this note a bit later on, but we may as well tackle it now while we're here. I went through this entire story thinking that they knew each other was Batman and Catwoman. But they Until only it becomes know. quite clear at some point that they don't know that. They only find out in the next day in the Dark Victory, don't they? Yeah. But they don't find out in Dark Victory, I don't think. They do, because don't they start seeing each other in that? No, she goes away. Does she? That. Catwoman disappears for the vast chunk of it to go do when in Rome. So they only need to find out in Hush, then? Yeah. They don't know it at this point. And I'm like... I didn't buy that at all. Yeah, that Bruce Wayne didn't figure out Selena Kyle was Catwoman, given that he, given that Bruce is clearly sleeping with Selena Kyle. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, the amount of times they've 
do they or don't they know? I'm kind of confused all the time. Yeah. No, we find out later on in this, in Long Halloween, they definitely don't know. Yeah, it's just... But I don't buy that Bruce doesn't figure that out, given how close he is to Catwoman. Yeah, it's, what I'm saying, though, is like the amount of times their relationship is binary. They either yeah. know each other or they don't know each other. Sometimes it's quite Yeah, and how many times he's retconned yeah. it and, and changed it and, and all that. Yeah, okay. Uh, as you pointed out, yeah, it's uh, Falcone who's paying off Poison Ivy. What does Poison Ivy want with money? To research plants. <laughs> so. <laughs> Alright, fine. To buy a greenhouse. To make Brazil a bit greener. Oh, okay. Like. I mean, in the past she's been a bank robber. But yeah. more recent incarnations of Ivy have had, thanks to her toxin, she can get what she wanted. Yeah. It reminded me of Jessica Jones, in that Kilgrave was just supremely uninterested in money. Because mm. he could just get people to do what he wanted without, he didn't need money. Yeah. He could walk into the best suits in the land and say, You want to tailor me a suit? And he doesn't need the money. Mm. And he only needs money when he needs it for legitimate purposes and yeah. he goes about getting it but for the most part he doesn't care about money and I always got that same impression from, from Poison Ivy money was irrelevant to it but alright whatever um, Falcone manipulating Bruce using Poison Ivy is interesting it breaks the unspoken mob rule of dealing with super types but other than that this is really slow yeah it's another issue with very little in the way of forward momentum. There's some nice character beats, but yeah. ultimately it's just the conclusion to last issue's plot twist. Yeah, well, and also the Poison Ivy portion of the story has just been done many, many, many times before. Yes. It's just, it's like Poison Ivy has two stories. It's Yeah, yeah. And this is one of them. Super. And the other one is she takes over Batman rather than Bruce Wayne. Or the other one's it's Superman. Yeah, or somebody close to Batman or Bruce yeah. Wayne. But that's pretty much it. I mean, like you say, yeah, there are some lovely character bits, and Catwoman rescuing Bruce is, is brilliant. And there's more than a small hint that she's aware he's Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same. But yeah. then later on, that is proved false. But it's not a great issue. All told. It's one of those things It works in the grand scheme of things, but taken on its own, it's like, well, yeah. what, what was that about? Chapter 7, April Fool's Day, a nice cover of the Riddler. It's quite abstract in that it's all green, meaning the Riddler's coat disappears into the background, as do his face and hands. His hat and pants and gloves and, and all of that stuff uh, are all black, so that's contrast with the background. Yeah. That's my favourite cover so far, that one. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I like the fact that he's not got hands or a face or whatever that just blends into the, the background. I like it, I like it a lot. I always prefer the Riddler in his suit. Mm. to his, his skin tight outfit. Wasn't the Riddler a private detective at one point? Yes. I bet he could have found out who Holiday in was. In Paul Dini's run. Oh, well, we'll get to that <laughs> in next week's episode. Uh, on April Fool's Day in two separate locations, the Batman and the Riddler examine the evidence. All the clues left behind by Holiday are laid out before them. Batman is in the Batcave. The Riddler has been asked by Falcone himself. Each trinket that was left behind signified the day on which they were killed. As they both puzzle the different suspects are pondered and eliminated. The 22 is a small weapon perfect for a woman. A cat woman, perhaps. But from the outset, the killings have targeted Falcone, always favouring Sal Moroni. Could it be he? He was there on New Year's Eve when Alberto was killed. But why kill Alberto at all? He wasn't even in the family business. So, are the killings personal? When Johnny Vitti was about to testify, Falcone tried to get a knife between his ribs. So is it Carla Vitti, Johnny's mum and Falcone's sister? Nah, that makes no sense. Alfred wonders if perhaps the Batman is overlooking the obvious. Harvey Dent. Batman hates to admit that this could be correct. 
Elsewhere, after four months, Harvey and Gordon are finally getting around to talking to Bruce. The Riddler is having no more success than Batman. Sophia starts to crush his head like a melon. If your life depended on it, and it does, states Falcone, tell me who Holiday is. The Riddler cannot comply, and so Sophia takes him out of the side entrance. She doesn't kill him, and neither does Holiday, who shoots at point-blank range many times, creating an outline of the Riddler. Holiday leaves an umbrella and a twenty-two behind, as well as a very much alive Edward Nigma. Uh, since when is April Fool's Day a holiday? Well, I was just thinking about this whilst you were doing a synopsis. Right. Okay, they have a set, as we've discussed, a set time period. Yes. A set number of issues. Yes, they do. There are only a certain number of holidays that you could do, right? Yes, Okay. true. This issue, nothing happens in it. At all. That's exceptionally true. My notes, my notes for this issue are one, two, three, four lines. This is them thinking, it could be them, but it could be them, and it could also be them, and it could also do that. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is Anton Deck have got all the suspects lined up and gone, it could be you. Ah, how are you, Chief? It might be you. Harvey Dent, it's not you. <laughs> you're going home. <laughs> But yeah, and nothing happens to it, not even a murder. No. Uh, so this is essentially just the sat around the office going, oh, we've got an issue here, I don't know what to do about <laughs> We need to get an issue because we need to get this, this, uh, ooh. You know, wh- wh- what we could do is we could just not have any plot movement. <laughs> we could have nothing happen. Just, yeah. That's a great idea. Genius. Uh, I, I heartily and approve. I could, just, I could just redraw murder scenes from different angles. Oh, why, I, man. <laughs> Why, Ivan? <laughs> Come on, Ken! Uh, yeah, why doesn't Falcone and Sofa kill the Riddler? Because you can't kill the Riddler. Exactly, that is the only reason they don't kill the Riddler. And as for why Holiday didn't kill him... Yeah. April Fools? Well, ultimately, that's the really rather unsatisfying reason that we're given. But and we even end with, when does a killer not kill? Yeah. A riddle from the Riddler that he's never answered. But, well, it is, because it's the name of the issue. April Fool's Day. Yeah, okay, alright. And so Batman says so many times, why didn't they kill Edward Enigma? Why did they not kill you? But it's April Fool's Day! Okay, so Harvey Dent wouldn't kill Edward Enigma. Unless he tossed the coin. Alberto, he's not too fish yet. Alberto didn't give a toss about the Riddler. Yeah. So maybe that's why they didn't kill him. But yeah, April Fool's Day works as well, you know. Uh, I like leaving the umbrella, it makes you think Holiday's the penguin. I suppose because <laughs> that would have been a completely <laughs> random thing that that Loeb would have done. And, uh, it's so, yeah. not too far from the it's truth. Not too far from the truth. Why doesn't Falcone, or at best Sophia, who has only just left, hear all the gunshots after she leaves Riddler? She kicks him out. She shuts the door. He gets shot at. Why did you not hear that? Silencer. Actually, no. The silencer doesn't silence shots, does it? How many bullets does a twenty-two hold? Not enough to do... Not enough unless, to put that outline around the Riddler. Unless the Riddler stood there perfectly still whilst Harvey, I mean Gilda, I mean <laughs> Alberto, reloaded. Yeah. Uh, the Riddler, though, has now seen Holiday. Yeah. At least enough to identify body type or height. Yes. And, and maybe even gender. There are three considerable different body types and yes. types between all three. Yeah, Harvey Dent is considerably wider and taller than Alberto. Oh, Alberto's taller than Harvey. Is he? But he's very tall and skinny, though, isn't he? Yeah. As a Harvey's quite well built. Yeah, and Gilda's. But Gilda's a woman. Yeah. 
Not to sound offensive, but... <laughs> no, you can clearly tell the difference between a man or a woman. Yeah, yeah. As a rule, you know, belly... Thingy up. Adam's yeah. apples and so. There's only so much padding you can put under your coat. That's very true. Why is this issue a massive waste of time? Because, uh... You're not going to answer that one. They, they needed a 13th issue somewhere. Yeah, yeah, they did. Anyway, we're ending on a bummer note. Yeah. So that's end of part one of our look at the long Halloween. Who do you think the holiday killer is, lovely listener? And if you think it's someone, <laughs> then you've obviously not been paying enough attention because <laughs> we told you. Uh, we'll be back next week with part two of this special episode. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. Episodes drop intermittently. It's hosted by Andrew and Michael Leyland. All sound clips and music used in the show are for review purposes only, so don't sue us because we talk over them, so it's not like people can rip them off. Correspondence to the show can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. 